Have you ever had difficulty sharing the gospel with someone you can't stand because of the sin in their life? Well, stay with us to hear how to overcome this problem as well as many others. Welcome to the Question and Answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We hope that you'll be able to pull up a chair up to our table and with an open Bible and an open heart, join Dr. McGee as he gives biblical answers to the many questions that his listeners sent in over the years. Our first question comes to us from a listener in Cotton Grove, Oregon. The listener writes, In your comments on Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15 from your edited messages, You indicate that a decision made in childhood is not sufficient for salvation, but that another needs to be made after reaching the age of accountability. What's your biblical reference for this conclusion? I'd like to turn to your passage over in the 19th chapter of Matthew, and we need to recognize what is really the age of accountability. Back in the Old Testament, a man had to be 20 years old, but for he actually reached any age of accountability. He couldn't become a soldier till then. And then 30 years was the time that the priest took office. He could not in any way come in before that time. So that what is the age of accountability? Well, I think it's much older than we think that it is. Now, Matthew 19 Verses 13 and 15 reads, Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And the little ones then are permitted to come to him, and I believe that A little one dying in infancy or dying before the age of accountability is saved because he says that little child would just naturally and normally come to him if was permitted to do that. But when it reaches the age of accountability, then a child is apt to turn away from God. Now, the reason that I make this statement is because as a boy, I was brought up in a Christian home But I went forward in a meeting under Brush Arbor, back of a little unpainted Methodist church in Springer, Oklahoma. I was 10 years old, I think, at that time. And they had a little kneeling bench there, and I knelt down. And my friend, he came up after me. And when he came up, he had a mother that was a shouting Methodist. And believe me, she hit the aisle, and she came shouting. And so she was weeping, and a friend of mine, he began to weep, and so I started crying too. And I'd been greatly moved emotionally, 
And a man that knelt across from me, he never attempted to witness to me at all. He never explained the plan of salvation in any detail. I heard the preacher preach, and best a 10-year-old boy that had no background is concerned. I was wide open that night. If somebody just said to me, well, won't you accept Christ as your Savior? I would have done it, I'm sure, that night, but nobody asked me. That man just jumped up and said, he's prayed through. Well, I don't know what he meant by he's prayed through, but whatever it was, I hadn't done it. And so I went for years. It was not until I was 17 years old that I accepted Christ. Now, on the basis of my own experience, I know that it's very easy to get a child to make a decision. And so I like to have it confirmed. My, my daughter, back at her grandmother's back in Texas, while she was out playing, came in and said to my wife, I won't accept Jesus. And so they went into the bedroom and knelt down, and she accepted Jesus. Well, I thought after that, is that genuine? And so I periodically, probably once a year, I would say to her, she grew up, do you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior? And she says, yes, Dad, I do. And one time she said, why do you keep asking me that? I said, I just want to be sure. And friends, I don't think it hurts to be sure, do you? And therefore, I ask the question, and I say, therefore, that it's well after a child's made a decision to nurture the child. I was never nurtured, and I learned very little in Sunday school, and that was my own fault. But nevertheless, I just don't believe that I made really a decision when I knelt there at that kneeling bench. It wasn't until I was 17 years old that I really accepted Christ as my Savior. I have a letter here that I'm going to read on our daily program, and it's from a man that said, while I was brought up in the church, I always believed in Jesus. But he says, now that I've been listening to the Bible taught, I found out that I really wasn't a born-again Christian. So he said that I've now accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, I think there are a great many grown people today in the church in that condition. And that's the reason that I made the statement that I did. I think it's very important this idea today to count their little hands when they raise or have them come front is fine. I think it's great, but let's follow that up and let's not let go of the little ones. Our next question comes from a listener in Fraser, Michigan. She writes, Why do the prophetic sections of Scripture describe future battles as being fought with horses? I don't see how horses can be any match for modern tanks, machine guns, and large artillery. Well, I'm very happy to discuss this. The mention of it, the most notable one, is in the 28th chapter, or 38th chapter, of the prophecy of Ezekiel. And in that chapter, we are told that the great kingdom from the north, which many of us believe is Russia, will come down against Israel in the last days, and they're coming down with horses. Now, that seems, as you indicate, it's entirely out of keeping with modern warfare. Horses would not add anything to modern warfare at all. I have a notion that the horse cavalry is pretty much a thing of the past as far as we're concerned. But the very interesting thing is that a man who's in the trucking business, 
He owns a very large trucking concern that operates, I think, both in this country and Canada. And he's a wonderful Christian man, and he was in Russia. He goes over there and buys horses, and he brings them to this country and sells them. And he says Russia is the only country today that's really in the horse business, and they have a horse cavalry today, a very large one, by the way. And so he hadn't given much thought to that problem at all, other than they just were raising horses, and he thought they were a back number. So I was preaching on the 38th of Ezekiel up in Seattle, Washington, and when I mentioned the fact that in the last days there would be a horse cavalry, and the reason for it would be that Russia thought, and there are other nations that think that with all of this modern warfare that is carried on by pushing buttons or lighting a fuse or pulling a trigger, that horses would be entirely out, but that what really will happen, that each nation will knock the other one out completely because that's one thing about this age in which we live with all of its atomic bombs and atomic age, that one nation can knock the other nation out entirely. And Russia feels that the way to win was to have a backup of cavalry to come in as they did in the old days. And apparently that's exactly what's going to happen as far as their coming down into Israel is concerned in the last days. Cavalry is going to be very much, I think, in style in the future. You and I are judging the thing as we see it at the present moment. But for the future, apparently they're going to pay, I think, a very prominent part as far as warfare is concerned. Now, this listener is having great difficulty. He says, I'm struggling with separating sin from the sinner, which makes me very cold in sharing the gospel. Can you help me? Well, let me suggest to you another approach to this problem, and it's contrary to the present philosophy that's being taught today, or the present psychology that's being taught today. The present psychology is so nice and sweet. It promises so much, and it delivers so little. It today goes in the direction of we're to love everybody. Well, I don't know about you, and the very interesting thing is I know some of these psychological preachers. I was riding with one of them, and he was driving, and there was a man ahead of him that was holding up traffic, and he really was holding it up. And Oh, he started in berating that man up front. They called him a jughead and everything else. And I said, I take it that you don't love him. Well, he says, right now, I don't love him. Well, I think that he's very human like the rest of us. We're not to love everybody. There's some people we should be very careful about. Paul said to the Philippians, let your love be with discernment and with judgment, that you be careful who you open your arms to, by the way. It's pretty dangerous. Our responsibility now, and look at it from this point, from God's viewpoint, God so loved the world. Now, God loves everybody, and God wants them saved. 
and therefore we are obeying God when we take the gospel to every creature on top side of this world. Now, I've been in Arab countries, and I want to tell you that I get a little disgusted with their dealings on certain occasions. But we have an Arabic broadcast today, and I'm thrilled to death when I hear one of these Arabs accepting Christ. And I can't say this publicly or tell you any details publicly, but we're reaching into the OPEC nations today. You've got to be careful there because Christians are not very popular in that section of the world. And therefore, there are those there that accept Christ. And it's a thrill today. It's a real thrill to hear about these people who are turning to Christ. Therefore, from God's viewpoint, God loves and we're to go. Jonah did not love Ninevites, but God told him, you take the message to Nineveh because I love them and maybe you will learn to love them. I think Jonah learned to love Ninevites, by the way. And I think if you and I take the gospel to people, we find out that we become interested in them and the whole picture changes. I think that we should approach missions from that viewpoint today and not in the present day viewpoint. If you're going to wait until you fall in love with the world, believe me, my friend, maybe that's the reason that there are so few going to the mission field, and it's the reason that so little is being given for missions today. Let's get the word out to the world, not because we love them, but because they are sinners, and they need to be saved, and God loves them and wants to save them. That's the motivation for missions today. We come now to a question from a listener in Fresno, California, who writes, I heard your program where you answered a question about suicide in which you said a born-again Christian will be forgiven for taking his own life under severe circumstances such as torture. I'm distressed that you would stray so far from God's Word in this critical subject. Please read Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 29, specifically verse 29, which says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. God's Word seems to indicate that we might suffer and even die because of our faith in Christ. What do you think? The listener then goes on to give other scripture references. First of all, let me say that there is a basic question here that makes me feel that you have not answered it, or you probably have answered it, and you do not believe in the security of the believer. Now, when a sinner accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we're told that he's born again, born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. And so the Christian is a born-again child of God. Now, we're told also, Paul told the Galatians, that ye are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ has made you a son of God. Now, you cannot reverse your physical birth. I can disgrace my father, but I'll always be a son of my father. That cannot be changed. I could disgrace my heavenly father, but I'll always be a son of my heavenly father. In fact, he says that if we don't even judge ourselves in matters of sin that Christians commit, he says he'll judge us. And he said that to the Corinthians, 
that some of you have been sick because you've sinned at the Lord's table. And he says, some of you have died. In other words, God stepped in and removed them from the earth's sin. And there is a sin unto death. And sometimes God takes the sin in sight away from this earth. Now, take that over and apply it to suicide. If you have murdered a person, let me use the illustration that happened apparently back east where a man one night came home and found that a man had broken into his home and had not only taken money, but was trying to rape his wife. And the man got a gun and shot this man. Now, he was a Christian, apparently, and was very repentant of having had to do that. And so the thing is, I don't know anyone has questioned whether the man is a saved man, and I think that they accept that he is a saved man. Now, if you take your own life and you're a child of God, have you lost your salvation? I don't think so. I think you're still a child of God. And there have been times, I think this must have been living a rather sheltered life the past few years. Why, the KGB in Russia has driven any number of people insane who are actually living, if they're living at all, they're living in an insane institution. They've been driven there because of the fact that they've been so persecuted and probably Many of them, if they'd had access to it, would have taken their own life. I noticed that one man recently that came out of Russia that had been persecuted as a Christian said he would have done that if he could have gotten to it because of the things that he was forced to suffer. So that, very candidly, friends, I think that you're taking a rather untenable position and you're being less forgiving than God is. Now, let me take the passage, the one in Proverbs. You've taken that so out of context. It's Proverbs 8, 35, 36, for whoso findeth me findeth life and shall attain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Now, in that passage in the one in Philippians, The subject is not suicide at all. That doesn't even enter into the picture here. Let's understand that in Philippians, it's a question of Paul may go to the chopping block and have his head taken off by the Roman emperor, which finally did come to him. And that was the thing. He said to go and be with Christ. In other words, he would welcome death. But the point is to stay and be with you is far better. And he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that for him to be put to death, he would consider that a favor, you see. And this one in Proverbs, he's not talking about taking your life at all. He says that a person that rejects the salvation God offers today, he loves death. It doesn't say that has anything in the world to do with suicide. And then you passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now he's talking about the human body. 
If any man destroy the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And that's exactly what he told the Corinthians relative to the Lord's Supper, that some of them had sinned unto death, and God will destroy your body. God will will take you home. He's not going to let you stay down here and keep on sinning in his name. And it hasn't anything to do with the problem of suicide. May I say that that is a shaded area in Scripture? We have no specific examples of that. And as a result, there can be two opinions relative to it, the opinion that you've taken. But believe me, you have not used the right Scriptures to defend your position at all. I believe our God is a gracious God, and that a person has been put in that kind of a position, or if there is a mental situation that arises, that God will and does forgive a person in a situation like that. I trust that I've made this clear. That is what we believe the Scripture teaches in this connection. We don't recommend that you commit suicide to get home to glory in a hurry, but I know a lot of dear saints today that are praying that the Lord will take them. And one dear lady just recently was a member of my church, and she says, Dr. McGee, pray that the Lord will take me. Well, what she means is she wants to die. And that, may I say, that even the thought of wishing and wanting to die, you may condemn that, but I don't think that that's something that we should condemn in others. Our God is a gracious God, and he's rich in mercy. He has a lot of mercy, and I don't know about you, I rest on him for his mercy. Well, we hope that if you find yourself in a situation where you're considering suicide, that you would seek out the rich and abundant mercy of God. Think of the words of Paul who wrote, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God's not far from you no matter what your circumstances. So turn to him for help and cry out to him in your time of need. And then we encourage you to seek out a friend or family member in whom you can confide. Let's go now to our final question today, which comes to us from a listener in Indiana, Pennsylvania. He writes, Do you think Jesus will forgive the ignorant heathen as he did in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, which says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let me say that the verse that you give would have no reference whatsoever to people that are living in distant lands that have never heard the gospel these men were crucifying the Son of God. That would be an unpardonable sin. Remember, and the writer to the Hebrews makes this such a tremendous thing that you crucify afresh the Son of God. And that would be a horrible thing because of the fact that it would be to misunderstand his death altogether and it would be to reject the remedy that God has provided. And therefore, these men here who were crucifying Christ were committing an unpardonable sin. And if he had not said, Father, forgive them, and it only had reference to this particular thing that they were doing, crucifying the Son of God, 
That does not mean that every one of them were saved. Some of them were, by the way. We believe that the centurion himself, that's when he stepped out and took his place beneath the cross of Christ there and said, truly, this is the Son of God. God has never asked a sinner to do more than that, by the way. So I would say that is the answer to that. We're dealing with just one particular sin, and it could have only happened to one group of men in one time in the history of the world. We hope that one of your questions or problems was answered or solved today. If not, then you might find your answers in some of our helpful resources. We have a number of booklets, books, CDs, and a CD-ROM by Dr. McGee available for purchase. To receive your resource catalog, call anytime at 1-800-65-BIBLE, leaving your voicemail request along with your name, address, and the call letters of the station. Or shop online at ttb.org. If you'd like a copy of this program for yourself or a friend, it's available for purchase as well. For ordering information, contact one of our service operators at 1-800-652-4253, Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Every Monday through Friday, we continue Dr. McGee's study through the whole Word of God on the Through the Bible radio program heard on this station. To be added to our mailing list for notes and outlines and our monthly newsletter, call 1-800-65-BIBLE anytime, use our internet order form, or download them from our website at ttb.org. Or write to Questions and Answers. For those in the U.S., Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Now we pray that our God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of Through the Bible Radio Network. 